I'm Hannah. I'm Sheena. And I'm Lori. And this is Cemetery Row. Woohoo! Can I just say, Hannah said her name's so cute and gentle and adorable, like she's not our resident gremlin. Not like I'm buttering you guys up for something (laughs) horrible later. Yes. I I have to shut my eyes because I'll get off. You know, y'all know I've struggled the last few months on the intro. I don't know why it's become a thing that I struggle with. Are you getting performance anxiety? I guess so. Stage fright? Maybe. You can go to Walmart and get that score stuff that they Mm -hmm. advertise on TV. Or the blue chew. That's the other one. Oh, yeah. Wow. I hate those commercials. (laughs) Speaking of those commercials, um, this week's episode is dedicated to love or the lack thereof. We have stories that run the gamut from um, legitimately lovely to legitimately horrifying. Um, But before we get into those, we just wanted to catch y'all up with life and what's been going on with us and what's been going on in the world. Um, I feel like we're a little late on speaking about Tyree Nichols. All of that um, happened very, very fast. Yes. It, it kind of did and it kind of didn't. It was weird. It, it it happened in Memphis and we all knew locally, but then it didn't really hit nationally to like a few weeks later. And, and then it was so sort of huge. It was just sort of overwhelming. But well, and that way, was what was truly amazing is like with George Floyd, even though they had video footage of him being, you know, yeah. crushed by a police officer, it took months for anything to happen. Yeah. And this took two weeks, three weeks, something like that. Yeah. Which of course, there and are I mean, a lot not of even, not even a lot of thoughts on that. But. Well, and not even that because like the first I heard of it, it was, they have been suspended or fired. It was action was taken against the cops responsible Im- immediately. It just didn't get national headlines right away. Yeah. Um, most no. of the cops. I'm still waiting yes. for some action on some of those. Okay. Yeah. But the um, mustache and- that my 14 year old nephew can grow better. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> and some of those um, first responders, too. I think some action needs to happen there, too. But <gasps> I'm not a. I just realized Peyton's going to be 15. You're nibbling. I just did the math in my head. Oh, shit. Okay. Carry on. Existential (laughs) crisis right in the middle. That's okay. We all have those. Um, But yeah, so such a terrible thing to have happen. Yes. Especially so close to us. And I hate it. And I can go off. I have a lot of thoughts and theories on Memphis and its history. And the violence that has taken place in this city yeah, um, and how I feel like a lot of times as a city, we try to uh, shoo it under the rug and not mm-hmm. deal with it and not reckon with it the way it should be. I have a lot of thoughts on that, um, but I do hope that we get some good change out of this and that his family is not suffering for nothing and that we do see some changes happen. I know that can't happen overnight. I don't expect it to, um, but any any little bit is is good um and i have seen a lot of 
Memphis, I know Memphis gets such a bad rap, but I've seen a lot of really lovely things come out of this. And I hate to say that it's lovely considering what happened. But, you know, like today I saw photos of the skateboarders who skated down Main Street in his honor. Um, You know, they have, there have been a lot of uh, Black restaurants that have stepped up to feed the family while they're going through all of this. Just a bunch of different things that really shows that Memphis is so much more than the bad headlines. So... absolutely and that's the thing is like i you forget mlk was killed in memphis like one of like the watershed moments of the 20th century and i'm like that i mean like that's the last time we were in memphis we were walking past the lorraine i'm like it's the fucking lorraine like holy shit and and like i said to me i don't feel like memphis has ever dealt with that not really no i don't i don't know how to put that in words but i just feel like we like that the the 1866 massacre that i mentioned in the uh francis thompson episode that i not that wasn't the francis thompson's episode but this episode where i talked about her like that's never i felt like been reckoned with i mean there's just so much that's happened here that i feel like we just sweep it under the rug and go on and it's like oh look blues barbecue yes that's great but there's we need to deal with what happens anyway Um, Memphis is a lovely city, I promise, and there are good people here. And we just wanted to send all the love in the world to Tyree and his family. And we hope you're doing the same thing. Absolutely. And, and don't believe justice. yes, and don't believe everything you see on Facebook. Ain't that R- or Twitter or Any, anywhere yes. else. I mean, yep. it's and this happens around these things of just like where there's a we want to have some explanation for what happened. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's just that people fucking suck. Yeah, exactly. And for those of you not aware, there have been some social media posts being shared saying that um, Tyree was in a relationship with one of the cops exes and that's not true straight from Tyree's mom. That is not true, but it mm. is. I've seen it on my wall like dozens of times. And that yeah. is, incorrect and please do not spread false information no matter if it's about this or any other case or any other incident no matter where you live just if it hasn't come from an official source don't share it because you're just gonna add to the noise yes and and i will say this too even if it is coming from an official source question that too Um, right yeah no i mean god knows that some of the cops who wrote reports wrote pure fiction in those reports about what yep. happened that night. And thank God there are cameras to keep dumbasses accountable. Yeah. Anyway, but yeah, make sure you know what's going on and please just don't believe everything you hear. Um, besides I'm, I'm over here like angry about that. I'm not angry about that dumb Chinese balloon as much as I am the people who are like, it's spying on us. And I'm like, do they have satellites? Mm, they, yeah. Oh my God. What are like, they you have TikTok on your phone, sweetheart. I know, and I'm like, <laughs> what, you know, okay. Assuming the balloon came over my apartment last week, what were they going to see? Ice? Inches and inches of ice. Trust me, I'm not doing anything that the Chinese care about. I know. Well, like, and, and that's the thing is like, you have spy, a phone in your pocket. It, yeah. yeah. Anything anyone wants to know about you is a click away. It's it's whatever. Yeah. Just and my probably don't worry very about long it. take is 
because I don't do politics. I don't care. Don't do not at me. Do not send me an email. I don't care. But my whole thing is, um, of course, other countries are spying on us. Well, yeah, they have since day one. We are spying on other countries. We have since day one. Whoop de doo. Right. I just, it's just I don't know. I'm not right. I don't get upset by that. Um, anyway, I don't know how we went off on all this. But anyway, <laughs> um, I to to go to a completely different subject. If you want to hear me not talk about things, but to hear me, hear me, for me to lead you through the cemetery, join me February 22nd at lunchtime at Elmwood Cemetery in Memphis. Um, the cemetery is doing a new little program this winter where every Wednesday at noon, uh, one of our great tour guides will lead you through the cemetery on a 30-minute walk. It's just to get you out of the office or out of your home for a quick walk through the cemetery. If you want to ask questions while we're walking, you're free to do so. It's not a tour. Um, it's 100% free. Um, but, you know, it's just a chance for everyone to kind of get out, enjoy some fresh air together in the cemetery. So uh, we have been having those throughout January and February. My tour not it's not really a tour it's mostly a walk is coming up on the 22nd i don't plan to tell stories but y'all know me i get story happy i will probably tell something uh it's free to attend but they do want you to register and you can register at elmwoodcemetery.org just so they know how many people to expect so do it yeah come walk with me <laughs> Um, I don't know why it sounded like that. Why did we why just do I now we're gonna get so. stuff about vocal fry and <laughs> oh boohoo. Um, <laughs> look well, if they have if, if they haven't added us for our accents yet, I think we're good. Right. I'm waiting on that. Like God, <laughs> Shana, where where's she come from? Pontotoc, Miss Pontoc, Pontoc. That's how Pontoc, Pontoc. Um, yeah. Let me get around my mama for five minutes and yeah, it'll, <laughs> it'll come out anyway. So this episode is all about love because it's coming out the week before Valentine's day. We hope you have a Valentine or we hope you don't. Maybe we hope you're just enjoying be being single, just be right. happy, whatever you're doing. Um, so yeah, we have stories of love. We have stories of not love and stories that took a place a long time ago and we have no idea what very on earth they're gonna be about i'm very excited yes is going to sandwich to not a loopy sandwich sandwich she's gonna sandwich two stories for me and hannah i mean like hannah's gonna tell story you're gonna hear it shut up anyway okay (laughs) i was telling myself to shut up not the listener sorry um Anyway, Lou, who's going to kick us off? That's yes. my whole point. Go, Lou. Yes. So I have two stories. So I'm going to start. They're both pretty short, but they're they're super sweet, which, yeah, I know is not on brand, but <laughs> just, just we're going like to go it. with it. So some people might gag at the term soulmates, but whether or not you believe that there is one person destined for you or not, there's no denying that there are some couples that are just meant to be together. William also known as Tom, and Naomi Shirley were one of those couples. William known as Tom. Like, his name was William T. Oh, okay. uh, Shirley, so it was his middle name. He was born in Texas in 1931, moved to South Florida as a toddler, and discovered the Everglades when he was a young man on his first road trip in his new car. Um, And he 
was in love. He spent the rest of his life and career dedicated to conservation and protecting the wildlife of the Florida Everglades. Naomi Shirley was born in West Virginia in 1939, and at some point, her family moved to Florida. Sadly, I don't have a lot of information about their personal lives. These weren't famous people. These were everyday folks who just happened to have a really sweet love story that got covered after they passed, and that is how I came to find them. Uh, They were instantly smitten when they met. I'm not sure if I said this or not. I may have skipped this. Naomi worked at a drugstore, so they met while she was working there and got married in 1969. Cute. And they spent 45 years together. Aww. Aww. They had four children, including Barney, who was named after Tom's brother. So he was a junior, which makes no sense to me, but... Uh, the information I had on Barney was that he was paralyzed from a gunshot wound after returning from a Thanksgiving celebration in 1989 when he was 19. Damn. Uh, doctors, yeah, doctors claimed he would never walk again, but he persevered and regained use of his legs. And I wish I could find out more about this. But this information was coming from Barney's obituary. He passed Mm -hmm. away in 1998 at the age of 28. Um, So there was no information about, like, I even was trying to search. Surely this shooting would have been covered in the local papers. And I really couldn't find anything about it. So what I just shared with you was in his obituary. So back to Tom and Shirley, Tom spent his career as a game warden in the Everglades from 1955 to 1985, and Naomi worked as a nurse for the Cleveland Clinic, but in their spare time, they spent every moment exploring the Everglades, traveling to the Amazon in Africa. Aww. After his retirement, Tom wrote a book about his experiences called Everglades Patrol, And he opened an airboat tour business, providing transportation services for the government and environmental groups. Um, And he also worked with movie producers that shot in the Everglades. And the whole time Naomi was by his side, they were always together, just Mm -hmm. like two peas in a pod. In 2013, Tom underwent open heart surgery at age 82. He had a lengthy recovery and remained weak from the procedure, but like, open heart surgery at any age much less 82 is gonna gonna fuck you up a little Mm -hmm. bit yep (coughs) excuse me so on saturday march 15th 2014 he was taken to the hospital because he was experiencing some heart pain naomi at that point she was in her late 70s and she struggled to get around so she decided you know i'm gonna stay home in the hospital call me if i need to come and it wasn't long before she got that call Tom wasn't doing well. He was not expected to live much longer. So she got in her car to head to the hospital, but suffered a massive heart attack before she could get there. Oh, no. She was rushed to the hospital, but was pronounced dead. And within 15 minutes, Tom also succumbed to his heart attack. No. So a family friend named Barbara Jean Powell said, quote, it must have been such a surprise to him to get to the other side and see her waiting for him. So neither, neither, and and their kids said, neither one of them would be able to live without the other. And that if they had to go, that was the way they would have wanted to go, not knowing that the other one had passed. So they were survived by their children, Tommy, Melanie, Troy, and Ray. Um, and eight great, uh, eight 
grandchildren. They were buried together at Ridgelawn Cemetery in Clewiston, Florida, and have the absolutely sweetest headstone. And it's actually their headstone that made me look into their story. It features two, it's like, so it's granite. It's got two hearts on either side and the hearts have like their names and their date of birth and death. Uh, and then on either side of the ro- uh, the hearts are some roses and a picture of the pair in between. And I'm going to include the picture of them uh, in our images for this week. And an inscription below the picture reads, quote, I thank God, I thank God in all my rem- remembrance of you. Oh, that's Aww. the, that's from the Bible. We have that on my grandmother's monument. Oh, yes. so yeah. it's very sweet. And it also matches the headstone for their son, Barney. So this is also the heart. Um, And so that is the story of Tom and Naomi Shirley, very sweet headstone. And, you know, when you're going through the graveyard and you see, you know, a couple buried and died on the same day, it, you know, that kind of triggers something in you. And then just to see how sweet their little headstone was, was, yeah was awesome so that's that's my first little story for you ladies so i'm Aww. sure hannah's about to take us down a completely okay. different route with her story so <laughs> well, i'm glad we had something heartwarming <laughs> oh god here we go <laughs> um so Lori, as our resident married woman yes imagine our dear sweet adam who we love yes we're big fans we are pro adam this is a pro adam podcast you hear that, honey? They, they love you here. <laughs> you know, Lori has like the only good Adam and the only good Terry. Yeah. She does. She does. Now imagine somebody owes y'all some money. He goes to, to go get it. And they bend down two birch trees to his feet, tie them to his legs, and then let the trees go and rip him in half. What, what the fuck? <laughs> What do you think oh, your response would be? I know what this one is. Is this <laughs> one about the lady that trained the birds to? Oh, there's more to it than that, baby girl. <laughs> I yes, know I would, nothing. I would do everything that this this queen did. I would do everything. Okay, I love it. I'm Get ready to fuck it. some shit up, lady. <laughs> oh yes. So, Olga of Kiev was actually a princess, not a queen. Um, they didn't have any kings or queens in this this particular thing they were all kind of princes and and whatnot so we're in what is modern day ukraine russia that whole area um so olga was born around i was about to say in the year is 900 (laughs) which kills me fucking hundred (laughs) it's ridiculous i love it So she was born in what is now modern day Russia. Um, It was part of an inland Viking empire. So I didn't realize the Vikings got clear over to Russia, but yeah, me either. Wow. Little did we know. They pillaged their way everywhere, I guess. You're right. And the empire was known as Kievan Rus. So Kievan, Kiev, you know. Yeah. Um, Olga herself was a, oh, I'm going to fuck this up. Varangian. (laughs) Sorry, I said that with a southern accent. <laughs> um, and so they were some of the first Vikings that settled in that area. So she was she was of of that region and of that place. Um, and as was the custom at the time, she was about 15 uh when she 
married the Grand Prince Igor I, ruler of Kievan Rus. So, very hot, very hot. So, Igor. 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 Igor's adopted dad had really tried to like bring the region together because you've got a lot of warring tribes and this, that's, and the others at this point. And so he had managed to consolidate power and establish the city of Kiev. We've been hearing a lot about it in the news Mm -hmm. lately. Yes, we have. Turns out they've got a history. (laughs) But there was one tribe that just, you know, they were the trailer park trash of this particular (laughs) area. They no longer exist, thanks to Olga, so I get to say that. Uh, The Drevlians. So they kind of had their own thing and they were just like, fuck you. I'm we're not we're not doing shit with you. Um and they stopped paying tribute. So basically they stopped paying their taxes, which not cool, my dude. Nope. So Prince Igor was like, All right, let me go let me go figure these fuckos out. Let me go see what they're up to. So he goes to their, you know, their village, their city, whatever it is. And that's when they ripped him in half with some trees. Ouch. But the Drevlians, they fucked up. Not just because you shouldn't kill somebody with trees, because that's just barbaric and shitty. But because, like, Olga was not to be fucked with. (laughs) So Olga was about 20 years old at the time, and her son was three. And was just way too young to be taking the throne. So she became the regent. So Olga, Olga is like, you know what? I got plans. So she began her plot. The prince of the Drevlians, who had audacity by the barrel, (laughs) says, let's get married. I just brutally slaughtered your husband, but want to get married? Saying, you know, we can, you know, we can bring the region under, you know, my control. Wouldn't it be great? Olga was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> so this uh, Prince Mal of the Drevlians sends 20 dignitaries to Kiev to, you know, talk her into it. You know, sweeten the deal. Olga was like, fuck you. But (laughs) Olga's a smart, smart girl. So instead of outright and uh, rejecting them and telling them to get fucked, she said, come on, let's, let's chill for a minute. And she takes her (laughs) soldiers aside and says, start digging a trench. And they're like, I, so they start digging a trench. The dignitaries show up and they are in their whole drip. They've got, they are looking good. They are flashing. And Olga takes them, like, you want to see this trench? My people dug. It's a pretty fucking cool trench. <laughs> and that should have in the trench. Yeah, that should have told them something, but yeah. No. And as Olga stood there, the soldiers started burying them alive. Here for Get it. it, Olga. So, as the story goes, as the dignitaries slowly suffocated, Olga stared down at them from the edge of the trench. She asked if they found the honor to their taste. 
<laughs> the dying men called up that their suffering was worse than the death of Igor. But Olga was like, I bet. <laughs> so because this is 900 and you don't just send a text and say, hey, she buried <laughs> 20 people alive, brah. Um, they didn't know. So she managed to get a letter to him, to our, our good friend Prince Mel, before word could get to him that she'd basically slaughtered a group of his homies. And she was like, look, I'm I'm still, you know, I can still be talked into this. Why don't you send an envoy so they, <laughs> the envoy can take me back to to see you, to, to, to check this out? So he was like, I cool. So he sent a bunch of his, like, main chieftains. He's like, you're going to bring back my ladies, so I'm sending my A-team. Can mm -hmm. I just say, I love that these are direct quotes. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I that these are direct quotes. From I was husband. there. This is what was said. Yes. <laughs> so when those these chieftains got here, Olga, being the wonderful host that she is, is like, why don't you, this is my personal royal bathhouse. Why don't you all go in there? I know your asses stink. I know you've been on the road for a minute. Why don't you why don't you get you a bath? So they all go in. She bolted the doors and burnt the building. Yeah. That's how you would get me killed is be like, here's a luxurious bath, Sheena. And go wash yeah, your smelly I, asses. I, I love a bath. Throw in some Dr. Teals. I'm there. Right. She was like, look, guys, I got the lush bath bombs, y'all. Yeah. Exactly. And then just roasted them. <laughs> not a single one made it out alive. Nice. Our girl's not done. Good. So before, again, this is 900. So word is not traveling super fast. <laughs> She's like, I got a little bit more to do and I got to get there before the news of all my fuck shit gets there. So she goes to the Drevlian capital encampment whatever and she's like you know what y'all killed my husband i'm gonna have a funeral banquet for him you know you can't not let me mourn my fucking husband all right right mm -hmm. and they're like okay okay and so she was like as a show of good faith send your soldiers they can they can show up mm-hmm she provided, like a good host, a shitload of booze. Got them fucked up. <laughs> and then her soldiers killed 5,000 of them. Yeah. Holy mother of crap. Her soldiers are rider dies. I yes. love them. It's, yes. It's like Daenerys and her unsung. Oh, yeah. Yes. She just, she went, she went ham. She was like. 5,000. Mm hmm. It's a lot. So the Drevlians in the capital are like, oh shit, she's real mad. Yeah. She's big fucking mad. Um, so the survivors in the city were like, can we please give you like a tribute or something? We're sorry we didn't pay our taxes. We were being real assholes and we're very sorry. <laughs> can you please just take something from us and like not? burn us to the fucking ground <laughs> please she laid siege for another year yes and they're like bitch please 
<laughs> so she's like, you know what? Okay. I want every house to give me three pigeons and three sparrows. Okay. She's like, I, I'm not asking for gold. I'm not asking for your firstborn. You know, I just three pigeons and three sparrows. And they're like, yes. Okay. Fucking fine. You can have it. So. Olga gave to each soldier in her army a pigeon or a sparrow and ordered them to attach by a thread a piece of sulfur bound with small pieces of cloth, which she then set aflame. And the birds, freaking out, flew back to their nests, which were in people's homes, (laughs) and burnt the whole thing to the fucking grounds i i cannot um say that it's okay to hurt those poor birds but wow what a creative way to just (laughs) well that's absolutely destroy people there's a similar greek myth of that's where firefox comes from i can't remember exactly but they lit the tails of the foxes on fire and then they ran through the field and it burnt the entire field up so we've been really into destroying things via animal and fire (laughs) for a while according to a chronicler from the time there was not a house that was not consumed and it was impossible to extinguish the flames because all of the houses caught on fire at once yeah the people fled from the city and olga ordered her soldiers to catch them she took (laughs) the city and burned it and captured the elders of the city she divided up the captives some she killed Others she sold into slavery. They it was nine hundred. What can you do? Yeah, and a lucky few were allowed to rebuild their town. Her Tell vengeance me she burned it again. I wish <laughs> her vengeance finally complete. Olga left the Drevlians completely broken, but willing to pay any tribute to stay on her good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yes. She's like, don't make me come back here. And they're like, no, bitch. <laughs> no, nope. we're good. You good? We're good. So how did she become a saint? Because she's a saint in the Roman Catholic and Eastern Orthodox churches. Well, wow. when she was ruler of the Kievan Rus, she was a pagan because that's that's how they rolled back then. Yeah. Um, but this is during Byzantine times because that's how far back we are. <laughs> and the Byzantinians or whatever you want to call them were doing the whole Christian thing. So Emperor Constantine the Seventh had invited Olga to visit Constantinople. Is it Istanbul or Constantinople? <laughs> that song is gonna be stuck in my head. And she converted to Christianity on the trip to Constantinople. The Byzantines declared Olga equal to the apostles for her conversion. So she wasn't just a convert. She was like the convert. Mm -hmm. You know, she doesn't do anything halfway. No. She's all or nothing. No. Our girl is... uh, the Byzantine emperor agreed, and when Emperor Constantine VII met Olga of Kiev, he asked for her hand in marriage. She is quite the property. Olga turned him down, though she did not burn his city. Okay, good. Then in 1547, the Russian Orthodox Church officially canonized her as St. Olga of Kiev, the patron saint of widows and converts and vengeance. <laughs> Heck yeah. 
Olga has some very impressive monuments. Um, one is in St. Michael's Square in Kiev, a very beautiful statue of her. And her tomb is just intricately carved, absolutely beautiful in the Russian Orthodox Church in Kiev. And it's absolutely gorgeous. And there will be pictures. Cool. But Lori, should anything happen to Adam? Like, seriously, <laughs> look, that is. That- <laughs> And see, that is love on an epic level. And I, yeah, it it, is. It, it, and that, woo, I would, uh, I would do, do some violence. I don't know if I would- I'm 20 years old with a three-year-old and you kill my husband like that. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's on like Donkey Kong. Well, and then expect me to marry you. Oh, yeah. Oh, you, you are going to look me in my face and be like, let's get married, bitch. Well, and my thought too was. He must have been really good in bed for her to have done all I this. mean, <laughs> like, like she was like, geez. Olga was a writer. Olga's like, yeah. watch this. Yeah. I like it. I respect it. Yes. <laughs> I simply must, or she'll burn yeah. my you, shit you down. You fucked around now. <laughs> exactly. You fucked around, and now you go find out. That's Absolutely. Right. Well, they do oh, say for divine. <laughs> when you do find out, it mm-hmm. is divine. Right. Good job. All right, ladies. Well, this is a story I have wanted to cover on this podcast for forever. I wish I could cover it on my true crime tour at Elmwood Cemetery in Memphis, but no one involved is buried at Elmwood, so there's no point to me telling the story. But this is one of my very favorite Memphis true crime stories. Um, It is full of twists and turns and... Um, all around good times, I think. Love um, it. So I'm going to introduce you to a man named Walter Lewis Samples. Walt Samples. Yes. Sexy name, right? Yes. He was born December 28th, 1871. That makes him a Capricorn in Missouri. He is very much a Capricorn. Very, very much a Capricorn. Uh, He earned a degree in engineering, and he served in the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers during the Spanish-American War. And in 1901, he he moved to Memphis, and he continued uh, to work with the U.S. engineers until his retirement. So in 1941, the year that this story takes place, Walter is 69, and he lives alone in a small but a very cute house in Memphis, um, the house is still standing. It, it looks like it probably should be demolished, but it looks really cute and really tiny. And I'm like, oh, I would love to go fix it up and live in it, even though the neighborhood looks a little scary. Um, it's not far from Stax, if you know where Stax is in Memphis. Stax, the museum, not the pancake place. Anyway, uh, now pancakes. <laughs> so Walter, like I said, he's 69. He, he's nice looking. He's not, you know... A silver fox, in my opinion. Um, Gray hair, glasses. His neighbors knew him to be a a quiet but kind man. And as far as they knew, he was a bachelor. Uh, He had a pension from his uh, career, but he also made money by being a landlord. He had like four houses that he rented out around the city. He wasn't known to be a big spender, but he wasn't known to be tight he just was living modestly i'm setting all this up so you get a good idea of who he is mm-hmm. so um he liked to play bridge with his friends. 
Uh, so you can just imagine what a exciting guy this guy is. He volunteered for the Memphis chapter of the Spanish American War Veterans Association. He helped his fellow veterans and their widows manage their money and their taxes. He liked to keep a routine. He ate very healthfully. So, you know, we're we're getting an idea of Walter. He is, bless his heart, kind of a nerd. Yeah, sounds like it. Yeah. And speaking of eating, he loved milk. He had a glass of milk with every meal. And during that is deranged. Well, just wait. (laughs) (laughs) And at this time in the early 40s, of course, you didn't go to the grocery store to get your milk. It was delivered to your door by the milkman or maybe the milk woman. Um, He actually didn't order milk super often to have at home because he ate out a lot of times with his friends when they played bridge or with his friends at the Veterans Association. So uh, Walter has a very quiet boring little life but it's about to take a dark turn ladies oh geez so picture it february 25th 1941 in memphis walter woke up on this chilly little morning he puts on his purple dressing gown which i just think sounds so adorable and fussy yes um he walked outside to get his newspaper when he noticed a bottle of milk on his porch and he thought this was odd because he had not placed a milk order And the bottle did not look like the regular bottle from his dairy that he ordered from. So he just assumed the bottle was from a new dairy that sent out a free promotional bottle. So he just took the milk and put it in his fridge and was like, cool, I have free milk. No, no, you don't take in random (laughs) porch milk. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. You take random porch milk and you drink it. Oh, no. (laughs) Now, one thing to keep in mind... For this story is that Walter has a little bit of a head cold and we know when we have a head cold we don't really taste or smell very well now. oh we? no God. well Walter drank a glass of this new milk with his breakfast and he left his home to check on a few of his rental properties but he didn't get far when he was overcome with nausea he became violently ill we're just i'm just gonna say violently ill for the, a lot of this because i don't want to go into details so imagine that yeah Sir, he he was barfing a lot right? yeah yeah <laughs> yeah he was uh so he went he turned around from wherever he made it to and, and went back home and he called his friend shirley mills now shirley her late husband had been good friends with walter uh, i think her husband had been a veteran and she worked at the veterans auxiliary so they were good friends and that's all they were um he was so intensely sick that he only managed to get a few words out on the phone and then he fainted so shirley went to walter's house where she did find him awake but he was still very very ill so shirley calls for the doctor the doctor comes the doctor examines walter and says hey what'd you have for breakfast well the random porch milk yes (laughs) The doctor diagnosed Walter with food poisoning, um, but he did check the milk in Walter's fridge and told Shirley that it it smelled a little sus. It, it smelled a little weird. And he said, hey, go have the milk tested. But otherwise, he just thought this is a plain old case of food poisoning. He gave Walter a laxative and told him to take it easy. I okay. can't imagine a laxative would make things better, but I'm not just a doctor. Hit yourself for a little while, my dude. Yeah, yeah, I guess get it out of your system. 
Well, by the next morning, Walter was improved. Um, He was feeling much better. He stayed home. And by that afternoon, he felt back to normal. So he called Shirley, invited her to come over for a meal. And they have a little light meal. Shirley goes home. And then Walter drinks another glass of milk before going to bed. Damn it, Walter. (laughs) The next morning, Walter was again violently ill and in a lot of pain he couldn't even could have thought he couldn't even call shirley this time she happened to come by the house to check on him and she found him doubled over in pain she called for an ambulance which took him to the veterans hospital the doctors there ran tests and walter seemed to be improving after a little while Uh, he was sitting up in his hospital bed and he told shirley like hey i feel fine go home but by later that night at 11.40 p.m., Walter took a turn for the worse, and he died. So this was February 27th, 1941, and Walter was just 69. Walter. Yeah. So Walter's cause of death was initially listed as stoppage of the heart, which you think? <laughs> okay. No that's, shit. That's, that's what everybody dies from. I know. So Shirley, of course, was like, no, there was something to this. And she remembered the doctor saying, hey, the milk smells weird. So she takes that bottle of milk out of Walter's fridge and has it tested by the police. And when the police test it, they find rat poison. Oh, Jesus. And what was in Walter's autopsy report? Rat poison. So then, look, his lady friend is the only one with any goddamn sense in this whole thing. Apparently so. Yes. So the police then rule his death a homicide, and they start investigating the death of this quiet, good-natured bachelor. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> the police conducted a search of Walter's home, and they found several items they weren't expecting. Mm, go <laughs> Namely, on. lots and lots of love letters from women all across Memphis. Women of all ages, married women, single women, women from all walks of life. Mm. They wrote lusty love letters and sent sexy, sometimes pornographic photos of themselves to a man they called my daddy samples. (laughs) Wait, okay. So how in the 40s are you taking naughty selfies? They, They had their ways. Okay. I, they may not could you selfies. imagine like rolling into the photographer and being like i need you to take a picture of my butt <laughs> <laughs> what <laughs> yeah so that's right humans and non-humans walter samples was the love machine <laughs> a playboy a philanderer a player a ladies man a 69 good for him a womanizer a rake a salty dog a rolling stone a sleaze yes i looked up every word i could for a fuck boy yes exactly <laughs> As the lead detective of the case put it, Mr. Samples was a lamb by day and a wolf by night. Oh. So his friends were shocked to learn about his double life. Shocked. Like some of the newspaper quotes from his friends were like, Our bros a hoe. They were (laughs) shocked. I mean, truly like, um, 
in fact, it was funny because at one point, Shirley, they asked her about some of the naughty pictures. And these, this was what Shirley said. I was with the police when they inspected Mr. Sample's personal belongings. I saw the pictures they found, which were described as being photos of beautiful women. They were nothing but pictures taken many years ago. And one of the policemen remarked, gosh, these are old timers, aren't they? No, I don't know whose pictures they were, whether they were relatives of Mr. Sample's or not, but they certainly weren't pictures of beautiful women oh meow Shirley I think Shirley was a little um like a little where are you getting these nudes a little bit like oh so I'm too why would he have nudes of his relatives Shirley exactly yeah (laughs) so and I just think Shirley was a little jealous I take back what I said about her having good sense um, you know, when you look at pictures of Shirley, she looks like a hoot and she was married many times. Anyway. Oh, good for oh. Shirley. <laughs> Never Shirley. mind. Carry on. Yeah. I, I kind of like Shirley in this story a lot. Anyway. Um, so now earlier in his life, Walter had been married to a woman named Lura in Missouri. They had married in 1901, but divorced at some point and she had remarried someone else. And then she died really young in 1912. Hmm. But in Memphis, Walter was living it up. And he I had bet he was. <laughs> His girlfriend said he would shower them with expensive gifts. Again, I this bet. is something that shocked his friends who knew him to be, you know, frugal, not a total tightwad, but, you know, he didn't buy outlandish items. Because he was saving it for his bitches. Apparently. Now, some women said the gifts are what kept him coming back. Some said his performance in the bedroom is what <gasps> kept them coming back. Ooh. <laughs> and some of them talked about how Walter, they kind of like were addicted to him. Like he cast a spell over them. Addicted. Like some of them. <laughs> yeah, I know. Some of them literally taught like it was almost an addiction. Um, but some said that. Because, again, when I say he dated women of all ages, of all whatever, I mean, he dated everybody in Memphis. It does not matter. I mean, I don't think he was, like, going after children. I think it was, so like, So he was community enough. penis. Yes, he was. <laughs> um, but, I, I mean, he was dating married women, women with boyfriends, all this. And some of the girls who were taken or in long-term relationships said that he would threaten to tell their boyfriends or husbands about the affair if they left Ooh. him. So some of them did stay out of fear. Not cool, Walter. Not cool, Mr. Samples. Not cool. Um, he had about a dozen girlfriends and lovers, and most of them had no idea that they weren't the only one. So... Now, Walter's brother, Daniel, traveled to Memphis to take care of Walter's estate and keep on top of the investigation, and they stayed at Walter's house during this time, and they didn't find his will, which they thought was weird because Walter helped other people create a will and, like, settle up their estates, and um, anyway, the Memphis newspapers were all over this story, as you can imagine, And all of these stories reminded his friend Shirley of a weird encounter she had at Walter's house two years earlier. So she goes to tell Daniel about it. Now, a woman whose husband had been a veteran had stopped by Walter's house one night while Shirley was there. And he introduced the woman to Shirley as Mrs. House. Mrs. House had claimed her purse had been stolen and she was penniless. And Walter confronted her. And Shirley's like, well, I'm going to let y'all deal with this. Peace out. And when Shirley looks back at the house, she looks and sees Mrs. House staring at her from the window with a threatening look on her face. Oh. 
And that story then reminded Daniel that he and his wife had met a woman named Mrs. House at Walters six years earlier. So they go to the police with these stories like, hey, we have met this woman named Mrs. House at Walters and, you know, maybe she has something to do with this. So the police look into a Mrs. House and they find Mrs. Bertha House and her husband, Lewis. <laughs> Bertha House. Bertha House. <laughs> it's a name and a half. So Bertha House and her husband, Lewis, were from Memphis. Um, I don't know if they were like born. They weren't born there, but they were based out of there for a very long time anyway they owned a trucking company in memphis but then in 1940 they moved to a farm outside of columbus mississippi and police questioned them for hours and bertha said she knew walter but it was a business relationship only because she was selling washing machines and he had bought a washing machine from her uh-huh mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah uh-huh. is that what the kids are calling it back then <laughs> yes that's what they're calling it um lewis said he knew nothing about the murder But, of course, the police don't believe the houses. They think the couple is guilty. Uh, They think that Mrs. House was dating Walter and that Lewis was the guilty husband, right? So Daniel actually said, you know, this is a poisoning. That's like a woman's murder, you know, because a lot of women do poison. Right. So he's like, I really think you need to look into Bertha some more. Well, two weeks later, the police lured the houses to Memphis under the guise of a potential business deal. And once the houses entered the city, they were arrested, and Lewis was named as a suspect in Walter's murder, and Bertha was listed as a witness. Lewis confessed and said, yes, he was jealous that Bertha was seeing Walter and said, yes, you know, I I killed him. And Bertha became upset when she heard that Lewis had confessed, and she starts to talk which don't don't talk (laughs) don't talk but she starts talking to the press she told reporters she thought the police had coerced her husband into a confession confession and then she told the police well she had told the cops she'd never had had like slept with walter right but she told reporters who of course printed this that she had been had been in a sexual relationship with walter since 1929 before she had even married lewis damn so she was sleeping with lewis before she married or she was sleeping with walter before she married lewis and then throughout their marriage now bertha also runs her mouth some more and says that she had stolen over seven thousand six hundred dollars from her husband to pay back walter who had given her a loan and she had hidden that money from her husband i think they used some of this money to buy that farm in columbus and seventy six hundred dollars is in today's money over one hundred and fifty thousand. So, yeah. but now Bertha called Walter in newspaper stories a human vampire, and said that many other women and their boyfriends and husbands had just as much motive to kill uh, Walter as she and Lewis did. Well, the police investigate the house's finances, and they found that Walter. And this is a quote, bled Mrs. House for all her money, which put a strain on the house's marriage. They were past due on mortgage payments to the farm in Columbus. And speaking of of that farm in Columbus, uh, the police searched that farm and they found, I know you'll be shocked, rat poison and bottles identical to the milk bottle left on Walter's porch. 
Now, Lewis said the rat poison was appropriate to use because Walter was a low-down, dirty rat. (laughs) (laughs) And also at the farm, they found Walter's will, which left everything to Bertha. Of course. Wow. Well, of course, Walter's brother, Daniel, is like, uh, bullshit. So he had the will uh, analyzed by the FBI and they declared his signature on the will to be a forgery. So Bertha was then arrested and both she and Lewis were indicted on murder charges. They claimed that the other was innocent, um, basically kind of trying to take the fall for each other. But then they ended up both pleading not guilty. Um, But at their trial, one of Walter's neighbors testified that he saw Bertha outside of Walter's house the morning that the milk bottle was found so both lewis and bertha were found guilty of murder and sentenced to 20 years in prison but their story doesn't stop there so the couple's attorneys filed appeals and there's this whole long reason why they get another trial but they get another trial i don't think it's worth going into but anyway in the spring of 1942 the houses were released from jail and their next trial started in 1943 during jury selection bertha jumps up and she runs up to the judge and she confesses she says i can't stand the guilt of what i've done i did it i was the only one who do it i I acted 100 percent alone and that lewis only admitted to the crime to protect her she said she had an affair with walter for over 10 years and felt like she couldn't relieve the leave the relationship so she had hatched the plan to poison his beloved milk and create the fake will so one she could be free of the relationship and two so she could get her husband's money back lewis began crying and told the judge he only confessed to save bertha lewis (laughs) so all charges against lewis were dropped and bertha was found guilty of murder and again sentenced to 20 years in jail She served 11 of those years and was released on good behavior in February 1954. She had been diagnosed with breast cancer the year before and initially turned down surgery in the prison hospital. She said no freedom, no surgery. Mm. But eventually uh, she did have the surgery and recovered well. And once she was released, she went to move to St. Louis with some friends. Smart. I hope she lived her best golden girl's life. Well, not not. (laughs) Not by much. Oh, no. Um, oh. Only five more years. Damn it, um, Bertha. I'm telling you. She died of breast cancer in April 1959, the day after her 61st birthday. Mm-hmm. And according to her death certificate, she was buried at Owensville City Cemetery in Owensville, Missouri. But I cannot find her tombstone. Um, her, her death certificate does list her as divorced. So I know she divorced Lewis or Lewis divorced her. I can't find what happened to Lewis. So he is missing in, in some newspaper stories and in some old records, you'll find his name listed as Leroy. I searched for both Leroy and Lewis house. I could find nothing. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Walter Samples is buried at the Memphis National Cemetery, and unfortunately, his headstone's kind of boring. It's one of those very pretty, but plain simple white military headstones with his name and the hospital corps spanish-american war Mm -hmm. engraved into it and that 
Do you imagine story. how brutal like the breast cancer treatment back in like the late forties? Oh, I cannot no. imagine. So yeah, that's the scandalous story of Daddy Samples and his poison bottle. Do you Daddy. know I went to high school with people? Every single person has that last name. Has different really. Like, I went to high school with the Samples. That was actually our superintendent. I went to high school with a house. I went to high school with, I forget Shirley's last name, but went to high school with one of those. I bet. No, nope, I'm wrong. Nope, I'm wrong. Bertha was originally from Arkansas, but she was not a house. I forget what her maiden name was, but I I read it 5,000 times. Leroy Lewis House was originally from Mississippi, like Yazoo City or something. And Walter... His whole family was originally from Missouri. And like I found his brother and his parents' tombstones, they're all in Missouri. I don't know why he moved to Memphis, but interesting. Cause yeah. I've never heard the last name samples. And so I was yeah. like, oh, he thought he got a sample milk bottle. <laughs> oh, the sample milk bottle is poison. Whoops, you're not gonna laugh anymore, Sheena. But then when I got to daddy samples, I was like, My Yeah, is no, that's why I was cracking up because samples. Um, Lindsay does not listen to this, but if you are, hi, Lindsay, her dad was, she graduated a year ahead of me. Her dad, Mr. Danny samples, blowing up everybody's spot was our (laughs) superintendent whole time I was in high school. So when you were, they were talking about daddy samples, I'm like, Ooh, that's an image I don't need. I I will (laughs) say this. I this to me this story is so good and juicy and you don't hear it often in the grand scheme of true crime in memphis Mm -hmm. um i first heard it from the southern mysteries podcast which shout out to them that is a one woman show entirely one woman shannon ballard she's the only patreon i give money to because she does an amazing job and she finds amazing stories about the south that i've never heard which is saying something and then i've passed it on to other true crime tours in memphis because i'm like i i can't tell it y'all go tell it um but it just i'm sorry every time i read this story and i get to oh and they found all these dirty love letters and dirty pictures signed my daddy samples (laughs) there's nothing i love more than people with like some raunchy skeletons in their closet it's one of my favorite things and then when you see a picture of the guy i mean he's a nice looking man but god you would not think love machine and love machine machine. and i'm just like how where how what were you packing daddy samples i just (laughs) he was packing something something Anyway, all right, Lou Who, uh, I clean out all of our smut and and violence with some love. Yes, I love 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 that story, Sheena. Thank you for <laughs> picking that. Thank you. That just made my day. So my story, my next one, also stems from my Google search of graves memorializing love, <laughs> uh, graves and love and things of that nature and gird (laughs) your loins lady this is very i said gird your loins this is a very bittersweet story oh no in in that way girded yeah you're gonna loins are girded gordon and norma yeager were married for 72 years oh my god jesus i know forever and i love those names gordon and norma 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 get it norma uh before passing away with an 
within almost an hour of each other on Mm. October 12th, 2011. Before we get into all of that, let's learn a little bit about Gordon and Norma. Gordon was born October 8th, 1917 in Minnesota, where he lived until moving to State Center, Iowa at age 16. Oh, wow. This is aggressively Midwestern. (laughs) I know. Norma was born on December 9th, 1920 in Iowa uh, and eventually found herself in State Center. She graduated from State Center High School in 1939 and accepted Gordon's proposal the very same day. They married shortly after on May 26th, 1939. Uh, Gordon served in the Civilian Conservation Corps and was a shipyard welder in San Francisco. Uh, According to his obituary, he was, quote, an inventor by heart and loved to tinker and fix things. He was a people person and also enjoyed fishing, golfing, and boating, end quote. Well, good for him. Yes. They made their home in State Center, where they had four kids and owned a multitude of businesses, including the Gamble Store, Home Oil, the Wood Duck Lounge, and the Chevrolet Garage. They were active in their community. Gordon was even elected mayor and served as a city councilman. Damn. He was a member of the Lions Club, the Masons. Oh, State Center Fire Department, Rose Board, and Cemetery Board. No. They were lifelong members of the First Presbyterian Church, and Norma was also a member of the Order of the Eastern Star, which is apparently an offshoot of the Masons that is open to both men and women. So It's like their ladies' auxiliary. Yep. Right. So there you go. Their son, Dennis, recalled, quote, anybody come over. She was the hostess with the mostest. No. She just seriously, the more she did, the more she smiled. Dad would be the center of attention, like, wee, look at me. And mom (laughs) was like, get him away from me. (laughs) Antics aside, the pair really seemed to love each other and rarely spent a day apart. No. No. So then in the morning of October 12th, 2011, the couple, ages 94 and 90, woo, Jesus, were on their way to town when Gordon failed to yield to an oncoming vehicle. Aww. The driver of the other car, Charles Clapsaddle, oh, yeah, that's an interesting name, was unable to avoid hitting them. He and his wife, mm. Barbara, were both sent to the hospital and Barbara actually suffered some internal bleeding and a broken neck. Jesus. Um, Thankfully, really? Yeah. Thankfully she seemed to survive those injuries. I did see that she did pass away on January 15th, 2015 at age 63 and Charles passed away just a little over a year later at age 69. So it's kind of a sad story or not a sad, well, sad, a side story to the sad story. Yeah. Uh, Back to Gordon and Norma. Both were in pretty bad shape when they arrived to the hospital. I mean, 90, 94. Yeah. Uh, The hospital was like, we're going to leave them together. So they were in the same ICU room where they were unresponsive, but they were holding hands. Gordon passed from his injuries at 3.38 p.m., but somehow the monitors were still picking up a heartbeat. Quote, We were like, he isn't breathing. How does he still have a heartbeat? The nurse checked and said, that's because they were holding hands and it's going through them. Her heart was beating through him and picking it up. 
End quote. Oh my god. Lou-hoo! Look, I'm oh. too fucking jaded for this. Stop it. Oh, it gets even <laughs> it gets even better. Oh god. So just over an hour later at 4:48 p.m., Norma succumbed to her injuries. Their daughter, Donna, said, quote, neither one of them would have wanted to be without each other. I couldn't figure out how it was going to work. We were very blessed, honestly, that they went this way. End quote. Aww. Yeah. Okay. The couple shared a coffin at their funeral. Yes, they were holding hands. Ah! Their remains were cremated and their ashes mixed together. And I believe they have a headstone, so I don't know if it's a cenotaph. I believe their ashes are buried uh, at Hillside Cemetery and State Center. And their headstone features their birth and death dates and the inscriptions married May 29, uh, excuse me, married May 26, 1939 and celebrated 72 years. Hmm. And yes, there's an engraving of two hands clasped together. It's so sweet. It's so sad. And that is, that is the sweet little love story of Gordon and Norma. And now sweet... I'm like that Skeletor meme where he's like, I don't want to feel good. I want to feel bad. <laughs> yes, yes. Just think about your story, Hannah. I will. Yes. I will. Yes. No, I mean, she was not kidding. Badass bitch, man. I, I've mm-hmm. read, I've, you know, obvi- I remembered about the birds because, you know, if you're going to yeah. remember something about Olga, it's the fucking birds. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, no, that's, that's legit. Yeah. So, so yes, some murder and mayhem, but I mean, I think this was. I enjoyed yeah. this episode. I enjoy all yeah. our episodes, but this one was fun. Yeah, we had old manhoes. We had <laughs> murderous women, and then mm-hmm. s- sweet little love stories. And then sweet yes. old people. Yes. Oh goodness! I well, love it. Y'all have enjoyed these stories. As yes, much as we did. And if you have a story, a love story of your own, Tell or a family. Us. Yes, send us an email. It's cemeteryroadpod at gmail.com. Or you can, you know, ping us on our socials. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at cemeteryroadpod. And we have to give a shout out to our dearly beloved and my fellow citrus salesperson, (laughs) our darling Jamie Wamey. Please know that if anyone hurts him, I will travel crowbar in hand. (laughs) Don't come for our baby. Yeah, from we oranges to Jamie. Oxford, Jamie. From oranges to Oxford, <laughs> we You'll went to college it. with Jamie, yes. and he is a dear friend of ours. And he said he said something to Hannah about being kind of down this week. So we're like, oh no, uh-uh, you no. light our up our lives. That's Jamie. right. We love. We, we cannot allow your him Instagram. To be yes, you yeah. are just killing it. We love you. Yep. With his little thirst traps, he I know. To tell me I know. He's not thirst trapping. I'm like, I see you. <laughs> You want to talk about someone who went from sort of a a, a, a nerdy kind of looking guy to posting thirst traps? Jamie, that glow Jamie. Up. Yeah. Heck yeah. We love you. We do. Um, right, and we love everyone who's listening. Absolutely. Not to take away any love from Jamie Kins, but um, we love everyone listening. Please leave us a review and tell us you love us too. That would be really nice. <laughs> Look at you segueing. <laughs> Well, I'd like more than 25 reviews on Apple, please. Anyway. um, Up next, because it is Black History Month, we will celebrate Black excellence in our next episode. And I know we will have some fascinating stories there. So be sure to tune in next week. Yes. Yes. 
All right, ladies. Bye. Bye. Bye.